right next to me is Dr. Uh, Maggie Larsh, who is a rheumatologist at, from the University of McMaster, and she's also had the uh, director or the head of the Scleroderma Research Group. So welcome so much, uh, you know, welcome to, and thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. And with that, I'm going to ask, you know, tell us about kind of your journey and how you got into rheumatology and specifically how you specialized in scleroderma. So rheumatology was a, was a tortuous uh, decision, a, a long and winding road. I loved, absolutely loved internal medicine. And uh, I ended up doing a PhD in the middle of my internal medicine training where I was looking at the immune system in asthma. So I was destined for a career in respirology and uh, I got really involved in the immunology and decided that the rheumatology specialty was more immunological and therefore more interesting to me. And I really love those complex cases of internal medicine trying to fit the jigsaw puzzle together. So that's rheumatology. And then scleroderma is just an exaggeration of that with pure internal medicine. You have to keep your brain alive and think about all the nuances of the internal organ involvement in that disease. So I um, sort of moved in towards scleroderma. That's wonderful. And I love, you know, first the honesty that you brought to your answer, as well as you really followed your passion to be here and your interest, yeah. which is amazing. Yeah. Um, tell us a little bit more about scleroderma because it is one of those, you know, I'm going to put quotation marks around this, rare, what we we say rare conditions. Mm -hmm. um, and what should, you know, the general public know? What should patients know about it? Yeah, so it's uh, it's one of the most common rare diseases. And actually, this month is Rare Disease Month. So we're right here on target. Um, it is a disease that is um, characterized by cold white fingers, Raynaud's disease, which is really common in the population, um, especially in young women. But 90% uh, of patients with scleroderma actually start with Raynaud's. And then it can, can involve scarring and fibrosis of many internal organs, the lungs, the heart, the kidneys, the gut. And um, we have some emerging treatments for that and some older fashioned treatments that are helpful for uh, monitoring and for keeping the disease quiescent. Really well said. And I don't think if anyone has ever explained it that way to me, I'm someone uh, who lives with Raynaud's. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, to have to think about that, right? So what Raynaud's is, is a lack of small blood vessels, if I'm uh, mm -hmm. correct, in, in the extremities, in this case, my fingers, and they are white and cold as we speak. Mm -hmm. So, but how do I know if I've developed any fibrosis or any involvement of the internal organs? Like, when should I try to come see you? <laughs> if, you know, in case that ever did happen. Yeah, Sometimes. yeah, so that's a great question. It's such a common condition, particularly in women, about uh, up to 10% of women have Raynaud's. Mm -hmm. um, the, when should a patient worry and when should a family doctor worry? Really, if there are any other uh, what we call red flags. Okay. And those red flags are, some of them are a bit vague, like fatigue. Hands up, who's fatigued? <laughs> um, but, but more specifically, uh, other symptoms of a connective tissue disease. And what do I mean by that? Dry eyes, dry mouth, new skin rashes, tightness of the skin, puffiness of the skin, ulcers on the fingertips, difficulty swallowing, 
um, challenges with, with bowel habits, bloating, constipation, diarrhea, anything that's new and um, isn't explained by other things should be considered in our in in a, any patient with Raynaud's. And of course, there are there are two different types of Raynaud's, or at least the classification of Raynaud's is either primary, which is what most in particular women have, and it starts in their adolescence, and it can be with you for the rest of your life. And then there's secondary Raynaud's, which often starts as a, at an older age, and there anything beyond mid to late twenties, that's a red flag. It's suddenly started, that doesn't make sense. Uh, because it usually, the primary Raynaud's usually occurs in adolescent girls in particular. Good to know this size and to have that clear distinction. So thank you for that. I've never had, again, <laughs> really that's so clear. Yeah. And with that, can you tell us about the work that Scleroderma Research Group is doing and really leading the charge globally? Yeah. So the Canadian Scleroderma Research Group was founded around 10 years ago by Dr. Murray Barron, and Dr. Janet Pope and others, and they have uh, built up a massive uh, world-class registry of more than 1,500 patients um, over the past 15 to 20 years. And we've been watching those patients over those years. Now, um, I took over a year and a half ago as director of the Canadian Scleroderma Research Group, and we're reinvigorating and we're building on the phenomenal foundation that, uh, that I inherited to uh, monitor patients with newly diagnosed systemic sclerosis. So we're interested in any centers who want to participate. And please uh, contact me by email if you're willing and wanting to participate. So we're, we're, we're getting any new patients with the diagnosis and we're collecting uh, questionnaires, patients, um, patient reported outcomes and physician outcomes, along with um, blood uh, serum in particular, but also we're going to be doing some genetic testing in those patients as well. So we're hoping to expand the knowledge of uh, not only the clinical phenotypes, i.e. what what symptoms those patients have, but also what their progression is and correlating that with their biomarkers. So interesting because you're trying to capture a fuller picture of what this disease is and how it manifests and how it affects the individual outwardly. Yeah, especially early on in disease because they're the patients that we feel would be a good opportunity to start treatment uh, once we have the data, start treatment early so that we can perhaps limit the amount of fibrosis scarring that goes on in the other internal organs. That's so amazing. And I do have a little bit of a more clinical question for you as somebody who, so I actually have Sjogren's mm -hmm. and um, I was lucky enough that my family physician believed me. I told her I'm like, something's wrong. I went back for three rounds of blood tests mm -hmm. and you know, round three came back and she's like, oh, I finally got it. But if somebody's having these symptoms, they can't truly get a diagnosis because they went in for like a routine blood, which is very much so your iron levels as a female or, for example, your A1C, mm -hmm. but not some of the things that we need. What, what advice do you have for patients who are like, I think I have something, but I don't know how to start that conversation. 
Yeah, so that's a really lovely question because it, it starts informing family practitioners. So a disease that's rare like scleroderma, I don't expect family doctors to know about that disease. I can't expect them to know about every disease. So what I guide my family practitioner colleagues and my patients um, is that when when there are symptoms that are suggestive of a connective tissue disease, so in, in the case of Sjogren's, dry eyes, dry mouth, along with fatigue, sometimes joint pain, that's when to shout and to say, I have these three or four or ten symptoms. I wonder if I have a connective tissue disease. And that's when that would trigger the family doctor to order an ANA. And that's presumably partly how yours was diagnosed. Um, but I also counsel family doctors not to order an ANA if there are no other symptoms, because depending on the ANA panel, up to 10, 20, even 30% of patients without a connective tissue disease and no symptoms of it can have a positive ANA. And so it's a bit misleading. So you Google what does a positive ANA mean and people say, oh, I must have lupus because everybody's fatigued and everybody gets rashes every now and again. Do you know what I mean? So um, I try to make family doctors accountable in saying, well, I'm only going to order that ANA if the patient has features of a connective tissue disease. So as a patient, maybe go to your practitioner and say, I have these features. Could they be a connective tissue disease? Right. And can I ask, as a, as a patient, can I, can I be vocal and with, with my, um, for example, I only present with fatigue, but I still feel a little bit off. We do the blood test, comes back negative. Should I continue pushing or should I just, you know, because we don't want to alert anyone who doesn't have these conditions mm -hmm. at the same mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. How do you, what do you say to those people who are like, do I keep pushing or no, I, I'll wait a week. Yeah. A lot depends on the actual situation. So if it's just fatigue, like we discussed earlier, so many of the population feel tired. If it's fatigue completely out of your normal range, if it's exceptional to fatigue, um, I equate it to, I remember being pregnant and being just needing, absolutely needing to go to bed. And my patients with scleroderma say, yes, it's that type of fatigue, but 10 times worse. Okay, so I remember how tired I was trying to work a full day and needing to go to bed at 5 p.m., not don't even bother to eat, just straight to bed. 10 times worse than that? That must be pretty hard to function. So what I'm trying to say is that if there are features that are really out of keeping with your normal fatigue or your what other people consider to be normal for them, that's when maybe to pursue it further. And of course, looking for those other features of a connective tissue disease, dry eyes, dry mouth, rashes, um, ulcers on your fingertips, tightening of the skin, puffy hands, arthritis, or, or even pain in the joints sometimes can be a, a feature, muscle weakness. Those are, those are the types of things to look out for. Thank you. I you know, for for indulging me because I did have I've had that question for a while. So thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Such a clear response. And um, with that, can I ask a little bit more about the Scleroderma Research Group? And I know you guys have collected you know, 
lots of data globally. You've done these long periods where you collect data mm-hmm. from the same page and you follow them. Mm-hmm. What are the next steps? What What are you going to do? Can I Can I ask you just have a little bit of insight? <laughs> Yeah, so the next steps are exciting in that we're going to expand to centres across the, the country. Um, some of the centres that have been involved over the years have, have dwindled down and dropped off, so we're reinvigorating, we're going to relaunch. Um, we're also going to add in genetic markers and some skin biopsy samples in centres that are able to do skin biopsies so that we build a national um, biobank. And with that National Biobank, we can expand into looking at a particular cell type or a particular um, uh, cytokine or, or transcription factor or whatever. We can, we can start looking at that in a lot more detail. Um, at the moment, there are several collaborations going on across Canada, for example. I'm collaborating with my colleagues in Edmonton at the University of Alberta, where we're, we're both collecting skin biopsies and we're doing some interesting science together. What I plan to do with CSRG is expand that across the country insofar as people can help. Um, and some centrists will not have the time or the expertise or the um, basic science facilities to do skin biopsies, but we're wanting to expand in as many centers as we can to allow that to happen. So fantastic, especially like very cutting edge, right? When you're thinking about doing the genetic testing and then also doing skin biopsies. So, you know, I do, I just admire your work. Mm -hmm. So thank you so much, Dr. Lush. Thank you for uh, having me. Absolutely. And with that, we're going to ask the audience if you have any questions uh, that we can answer live right now. Do you have any self-care techniques for people who who are living with the dry skin, the dry mouth and the rashes? So uh, that's a really broad question, but um, there are several uh, self-help strategies for dry skin, of course, uh, emollients, um, trying to, especially in the drier Canadian climates, trying to make sure that your hands and skin is moisturized vigorously. Um, massage sometimes can help, and, and even you know hand massages can, can help. Um, moving on to more puffy hands and contractures of scleroderma than vigorous occupational therapy and finding a good occupational therapist that knows how to uh, move the, the hands and, and our phrase is if you don't use it, and it's not our phrase, if you don't use it, you lose it. And that really um, is is particularly pertinent to patients with scleroderma. So um, getting a decent hand hand occupational therapist and teaching, that as a self-help, teaching the occupational therapist that they need to treat your hands as if you have burns. And occupational therapists know how to treat burns. They vigorously, vigorously try to extend those hands to prevent those contractures. So that's, that's another self-help. Do those exercises. Um, dry eyes, dry mouth. There are a million over-the-counter uh, treatments that... Unfortunately, we say try them all. The trouble is you spend a fortune on trying them all. Something that helps one person doesn't necessarily help another. Um, Rashes don't have any decent self-help ideas other than emollients and make sure you keep your skin moist. 
Well, with that, we want to thank Dr. Lush and we want to thank the audience for tuning in. And with that, we'll, we'll see you at our next session. Bye. Take care, everyone. Thank you.